All right, well, we are one step away from being done with this series and jumping into something new. And we're going to talk a little bit today about fruit. And we're not going to the farmer's market necessarily, and there aren't uh, apples and bananas under your seat. Uh, although that would be, I should have done that. We could have had a snack. Um, maybe we'll do that next time we talk about fruit. I don't know when that'll be. But we're going to talk a little bit about fruit today, okay? And, and basically thinking about what it is that our lives produce, Okay? What are the things that our lives are producing? Now, I don't know, you know, I know not all of you uh, have had kids before, <clears throat> but maybe many of you have maybe cared for kids or babysat or worked at camp or done something with kids. And, and maybe, uh, and I don't know that this is a glowing endorsement for kids ministry after I've given that particular spiel, but, um, but maybe you know what it's like um, to lose your mind. You know, and uh, and I see a lot of yes, actually, um, and part of you I think you know that might be why you're here, um, which is great. But um, yesterday morning was one of those mornings for us in the Anderson household. Um, our band has begun playing out in the community, and and uh, it's been kind of cool. We've met some new folks and and been able to make a little extra money, which is always nice and. And also invite some folks to church, which has been kind of neat to be able to do. But we were out playing, and we got home about midnight. You know, it was very late for an old man like me. And um, Alex, our five-year-old daughter, I didn't mean to say her name. I didn't say that last time. Um, and I'm using these illustrations because when they become teenagers, I'm not going to be allowed to do that anymore. <laughs> so I'm using them now while I can. She got up. She's our five-year-old. She got up at 5 30 in the morning. And, and as we say in the South, she was ill as 10 hornets. She was not happy about being awake. She was not happy about being up, but she didn't want to go back to sleep and she didn't want to be awake and she just didn't want to be, period. Okay? So all of a sudden she starts into, I'm hungry. I'm so hungry. I'm starving. I'm starving. And so, and Caroline, forgive me. I hope she doesn't get me later. But um, when it's that early in the morning, my, my beautiful wife um, communicates by grunting. And so, uh, so uh, our five-year-old says, um, Mommy, I'm hungry. Give me something to eat. And so... Caroline, in all of her sweetness, says, So, and she went to mom first, because usually mom's the one that delivers, okay? So after figuring out that mom wasn't going to deliver, she comes to dad. Daddy, I'm hungry, I need to eat, I'm going to waste away. And so I decide, okay, fine, you know, I'm going to get up and get her something to eat. So I fix her some Honey Nut Cheerios, and then she wants to watch television. And we've started uh, a new thing. Uh, we've probably started this rule about 12 or 13 times in our house. 
And um, it's the rule that you don't watch TV while you eat. And then there's just those moments where it's so easy to let them watch TV while they eat. Um, I mean, I'm just being real. I, you know, it's just like, just, you know, and we could just have an adult conversation while they watch TV. It won't kill them. They'll be all right. But we'd started the new rule that they can't watch TV while they eat. So I want to watch TV and eat my cereal. Well, you know, honey, we started that rule again. Um, you know, that you, you can't watch TV while you eat. And she literally falls out flailing on the floor like she has been shot. Okay? Oh, look at watch TV. I mean, just like unbelievable. And so finally, mom is up. All right? And mother is about to speak. So she says, you are going back to bed. I said, yes, ma'am, I will. (laughs) And she loses her mind, all right? And she goes, honey, take her to bed. And I'm like, I'm afraid of her. I don't want to take her to bed. So I take her in there, and I mean, it's just... She has just lost every ability to control any amount of anything at that point, and she is just losing it, okay? Maybe my kids are the only ones that have ever done that, but she is losing it, okay? And so, and I don't, you know, I'm not making a statement about what you should or shouldn't do. In our house, we spank, and we only spank when it gets to a certain point. And we spank on the behind. You know, I'm not getting a bat from the garage and beating her over the head. But I finally said, you will stop or you will get a spanking. She would not stop. She got a spanking. Finally, she calms down. And she says, Daddy. And she's got this lip thing. I can't can't do it. And she's like, I just... I just want to eat. <laughs> and, so, and so at that point, I'm, I'm dying. I'm like putty in her hand. I've just spanked her, which I always feel terrible about after I do it. And my daughter is literally wasting away. <laughs> All right? And so I take her back in the kitchen. And this was where it happened. She turns to me and says, my cereal is soggy. I do not want cereal. And that was the moment that dad lost it. I ripped the breakfast sandwiches out of the freezer threw them on the counter, ripped one out of the package and said, somebody tell me how long to cook this for. <laughs> I threw it in the microwave, I think. I don't remember. And I walked into the bedroom, followed by my three-year-old. <laughs> who up to this point has been very quiet. 
I'm standing in my bedroom, and all of a sudden I turn around, and she's standing in the doorway. Mind you, it's still dark, so it's like an <laughs> intimidating silhouette of this person that big, you know? And standing in the doorway is my three-year-old, and she goes, what is wrong with you? You are being mean. (laughs) Then she turns to walk away, and I think I'm safe. And she turns back around, and she says, you're acting like a child. (laughs) I can't make this stuff up, guys. (laughs) I cannot make this stuff up. So long story short, Caroline sends them in there to give me a hug and tell them they're sorry. And I don't really know who won. I don't, I mean, I, I don't think I did. I don't, I don't know really, but we worked it out and we apologized and we hugged and kissed and everything was okay. But here's the idea. My three-year-old in that moment was not impressed with my credentials. She wasn't impressed with the degree I have in religion. She wasn't impressed with the years I served as a youth pastor and all these other... She didn't care. She doesn't even know. What she knew was that she, what she saw in me in that moment was not good fruit. Now, she couldn't have articulated that, or maybe she could have. But that's what she saw. She knew in that moment that dad was not practicing what he preached. And in her three-year-old way, she called me on it. Because she knew that if one of them had thrown that sort of tantrum, like I just had in the kitchen, it's six o'clock in the morning, that we would have said, what is wrong with you? You are being mean and you are acting like a baby. And that's exactly what she said to me. What I want us to do today for a little while is to take the stance of my three-year-old daughter but instead begin to look at our own lives. And look at what our lives are producing. What are the things that are coming from our lives? And how are they impacting the rest of the, of the world? And most importantly, if you are a Christ follower, and I don't assume that everyone in here is, but if you are a Christ follower, how is the fruit that's being produced from your life furthering the kingdom of God? How is that happening? And so I want us to take a look at that for just a moment. And today's message is is a little bit um, divided. It's kind of two messages in one. So I've got two big ideas. Um, Eric, actually, who's up here on the front row, we work at Starbucks together. And he came over last night while I was finishing up, and he he helped me kind of 
put some things together. This first big idea actually was, was a word that he helped me come up with. Um, the first big idea, if you've got a, a handout there, you've got blanks. If you're a note taker, there's blanks you can fill in. If you're not, then uh, just leave. Um, no, I'm just kidding. If, if you're not, then, uh, then don't. I mean, don't worry about it. Just They're there if you want them. And if you don't, don't worry about it. Recognize, number one, recognize the fruit of your influencers. Okay? And, and the reason we chose the word influencers, and I wrestled with the word teachers. I wrestled with the word leaders. You know, how do we, how do we put that? How do we articulate what it is we want to say? And, and the reason that I think we ended up on influencers is because if we said teachers, you would automatically think it's whoever's up here on the platform. You know, if it's leaders, then you only look at church leadership, okay? But when you say influencers, you realize that it's anybody that's giving you advice, anybody that would presume to tell you anything from God's word, anybody that would, um, that would want to give you guidance, recognize the fruit in those people before you just blindly follow them. You must recognize the fruit. And then number two, reevaluate your fruit regularly. So we've got two things going on. The first thing we're going to look at is looking at the people that, that are in influential positions in your life and, and recognizing the fruit of their life. What is really the fruit here? And then looking at your own life and reevaluating, which I like the word reevaluating because it implies a constant, a constant activity of looking at your life in light of the kingdom of God and in light of God's word. So those are our big ideas. Now we're going to look, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 7, uh, starting at uh, verse 15. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. At Renovation, we believe that, that the Bible is the infallible word of God. It's the only um, it's the only rule for faith and practice. It's the only thing we have to know how to live, and it is 100% true. We believe that here. And, uh, and it's okay if you're here and you don't, all right? But I just wanted to let you know where we stood. And if you don't believe that, I just say keep coming back. You can belong here before you believe it. So just keep coming back. Matthew chapter 7. And this is um, under the first big idea. Verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So if you're going to recognize the fruit of your influencers, number one, there's a blank there. Number one, you have to know that false teachers are not obvious. Scripture just told us that. They come like wolves in sheep's clothing. They come looking like they've got it all together. They typically come very charming and very put together, but it's a facade. It's just a facade. And what's behind that is really the person that they are. Number two, as we look at verses uh, 16 through 19. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you have to look 
at what their lives produce. You have to look at what their lives produce. I want to read um, from a commentary that I use uh, quite often. And it says this, In the Old Testament, the test for true and false prophets was wait and see. If the prophet tells you that something is going to happen, you will discover whether they are truthful by seeing whether it does. It's fairly simple. If there was a guy that stood up and said, I will grow three heads and blow fire out of my, out of my nostrils. Then you go, I want to wait and see if that happens. If it happens, you might have a true guy there. If it doesn't, call the hospital. <laughs> All right? Now, Jesus has a more graphic and perhaps a quicker method of detection. Look at the life of the person who's offering you advice. Think of it like a tree. Can you see healthy, tasty fruit on this tree? Can you see other people being genuinely nourished by it? And the word genuinely is important. Or is it, in fact, producing a crop of lies, immorality, and greed? The fruit cannot simply be showy displays of apparent spiritual power. False prophets, this is, this is key, false prophets can often produce that sort of thing. What counts is something deeper, something more personal. What it's saying is you've got to, you've got to recognize what's behind the exterior is what matters when you're looking at what a teacher's life produces. Now, let me just give you a disclaimer. We're not talking about perfect people. If we were waiting for a perfect person to take the platform up here, y'all would be sitting here waiting for something to happen, and it would never happen. What, what we're talking about is, is someone that, that struggles well. Someone that struggles well. We all struggle, right? I mean, we do. We're human. There was one perfect person that walked this planet, and it was Jesus. But we have to look for people who struggle well, who drop sin quickly, who admit their faults, who are humble in dealing with conflict, who if they're preaching or teaching on something that's something they're dealing with, they're open and genuine and transparent enough to go, hey guys, we're all getting this one I, because I struggle in this area too. They're, they have to be able to be real with you in order to be someone that's, that's worth listening to. And if not, then you need to question what's behind the exterior. And then number three, the product of their lives is more important than the power of their speech. Verse 20 says, thus by their fruit you will recognize them. It's saying, look, you're not gonna, you don't need to recognize a, a, true, a true and honest teacher, a good solid teacher or influencer is not one that you recognize by their charm. You know? It's not a show and dance. It's not an entertainment. It's not, it's not that they can make you cry and they can make you laugh all at the same time. And they're just so good at it. What I want to suggest to you is that I could march anybody up here that's good with words and entertaining, regardless of what they believed, and they could move you to tears. They could move you to laughter. There's nothing wrong with those things. I hope you've laughed a little at my expense this morning. But that's not the test. 
That's not the test. The test is in what their life is producing. The product of their lives is more important than the power of their speech. I want to give you four warning signs of false teaching very quickly. I'm going to roll through these fast. Four warning signs of false teaching. This is not a complete list. This is simply some things that I've picked up in my experiences in sort of living this out in different arenas, um, seeing it some, in some ways firsthand. Warning signs of false teaching. Number one, ignoring sin to increase numbers. Ignoring sin to increase numbers. It's, it's don't rattle the boat for ministry. And, and what, I'll give you an example. And this, I'll go ahead and tell you right now, this isn't from a church that's even in this state. So don't try to figure it out. Um, it's a church that I worked at years ago. And the issue, and I've worked at many, so you won't be able to figure out what it was. So the issue was that there was a person on leadership who really had some things that they needed to, to deal with. And they needed not to be kicked out of the church or thrown out in the street. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. But they lovingly needed to just take some time to get these things worked out before they were put back into their, into their leadership position. And it was a worship team person, a person in the band. And um, I talked, I was on staff, I talked to the, the senior leadership about it. And uh, basically the response was, she's just never going to change. And that's just how she is and, you know, whatever. Well, what they knew, I think, was they knew that a lot of people came to that church because of the music. And if they compromised the music platform, people might quit coming. So they were willing to not deal with it. And my thing is, I'm not talking about condemning someone. I'm talking about someone who clearly needed some help. They needed some help. You know, and they were just left to continue right along their path. They swept it under the rug because they were afraid they might rock the boat. Second Timothy 4 3 says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They just find the people that they can gather around them that won't challenge them, won't look behind the mask, and then everything's fine as long as nobody sees behind the curtain, right? I've seen it happen. Once they see behind the curtain, all hell breaks loose. And the sad part is many times there's casualties and people that say, I'll never go to church again. How sad. How sad. Number two, warning signs of false teaching. Hate. If you've got a person who's harboring hate towards a group of people because of the color of their skin, if you've got a, pe a person harboring hate towards a group of people because of their lifestyle, if you've, got people har if you've got a person harboring hate against any group, any person, and their speech is just filled with that kind of uh, anger and hate, then 
you might be dealing with a false teacher. Now, I think we can think of the really big examples of this. I don't know how many of you were aware of the, the folks that came through a year or two ago, I guess. The, they came and did the pickets and all that. And, uh, and they, you know, they were, you know, God hates, you know, different groups of people. And, and, uh, and, and let me just say from a renovation standpoint... Every single group that they had on their signs, okay? And, and just know this. Every single group that they had on their signs, we believe God loves them. Every single one. Every single one. And so you've got this hate speech. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm not, I'm not God, but I really question how a person could have the Holy Spirit living in them and have that kind of hate. I just really struggle to understand that. Um, it's not my job to judge their Christianity, but I am looking at fruit. And you see a lot of hate, then you're probably dealing with a false teacher. Hate, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. That's a very, very inclusive word. Okay? All is not a word with walls, right? All is a word that's opened, okay? And so that's what we believe about, about the gospel, the good news. Number three, warning signs of false teaching, guilt motivation. Guilt motivation. If you've got someone that is guilting you into doing something, whether it's, well, you know, guys, we have our basket up here, and uh, if you don't give, well, when you need us, I don't know if we'll be there. Sorry. Let me tell you something right now. And I can, I can tell you this right now. I know a lot of you, I don't know. I, I assume that there's a good percentage of you that have been hurt by money in church. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know. I have. I have. So I, it might be you too. Let me just tell you something. If you never give a cent in this place, we're going to love you. We're going to love you. Okay? Um. We've never stood up here and asked for money. I can't really imagine an opportunity that would arise that we would do that. We might ask for money for somebody else. You know, I mean, there might be a need. You know, I mean, like we collected the food and stuff for the food pantry and all. There might be times when we would ask for somebody else. But we, we're just stupid enough to believe that God is just going to take care of us. You know, we've never had to do it. And one reason we've never had to do it, we've never needed to do it. We never needed to do it. We've never, we've never had to make anybody feel guilty about it because that's not our motivation. I feel that if you present a vision and you're doing kingdom work, then people are going to buy in and people are going to support it. I do believe that, that what you support, you give money to. I do believe that. I mean, I think that's just a principle regardless. I, mean, I think what you support, you fund, you know. Um, you think about local, local businesses that you like. Well, how do you show them your support? Well, you go and patronize them, you know. You give them money and buy their product, buy their food, you know, whatever it might be. But we just believe, if you believe in it, we don't have to say anything about that. There's no need to guilt you into anything. We want God to compel you to do what God's compelling you to do. It's not our job, you know? It's not our job. Um, 
This says, uh, don't you see, this is Romans 2, 4, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? The, the concept here, the church has, in a lot of ways has got this backwards. It's we need to make you feel bad enough that you do something. Instead, the gospel says, I want you to be so blown away by the goodness and the kindness and the love of God that you are just like, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll follow that. There's no guilt in that. It's just I'm so blown away by his goodness and his love. It's, it's just a no-brainer to go, yeah, I'm going to give my life to him. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? And then number four, validating, not renovating. Thank you, Eric. That was another one Eric helped me with. Validating, not renovating. Now, I'm not talking about validating in the sense of, hey, good job. Nothing wrong with a good job. Nothing wrong with a attaboy. Nothing wrong with a slap on the back. All those things are great. Encouragement is great. But we're talking about validating in the sense of, oh, whenever I leave with being with that person or ever when I leave that church, I just always feel good. And the church's mission and vision is for you to come and for you to feel good when you leave. Now, there are some really big churches in our country that are growing in leaps and bounds off of that principle, off of you just need to come and feel good. Come and feel good. Well, let me just say this. There's nothing wrong with feeling good. I feel pretty good right now. <laughs> to be honest with you, I feel pretty good right now. My voice is almost gone, but I feel pretty good. There'll be days when you walk out of here and you feel pretty good. You feel pretty good. But I think there's, there also needs to be days when you walk out of here, not burdened, not burdened, I'm not talking about putting a burden on anybody, but where you walk out of here and you're challenged. And you're going, you know what? I'm going to trust God in that area that I wouldn't trust in him. You know what? There's some things in my life that are destroying me. And I'm going to do the necessary thing to deal with those things. That's not feeling good. That's being challenged. That's being, in, in Christian churchy circles, we'd call it conviction. And, and essentially what conviction means is not condemnation. It just means you're, you recognize what needs to happen in your life for you to live a kingdom lifestyle, for you to live for Christ. And you're just so drawn to the necessary things to do in order to get it out of your life. And you're ready to trust God to, to, to do it. Proverbs 3. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. This is kind of no-brainer when you think about it. If, you, if you're a parent, if you've ever been a parent, you have parents, um, a parent doesn't go, I love my kid. Oh, I just love my kid. They're just so neat. I just love them. Um, you know, they're just, they're just great. And so to show them that I love them, I'm just going to let them do whatever they want to do. Just go out and run in the road. And I just love them. I love watching my little three-year-old running back and forth across Highway 17. <laughs> it's just great. Because I just love her. She's laughing and everything. Well, that, you, we laugh at that like it's completely ridiculous because it is. But then why do we think our Heavenly Father wouldn't want 
to correct us when we're doing something that's not good for us. Certainly he would. If he didn't, he wouldn't love us. So we've got to accept that. That's not always easy, by the way. <laughs> It'd be easy to get her out of the road. but Well, not easy, but easy to decide to do it. Number two, reevaluate your fruit regularly, verses 21 through 23. Let's look at these. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I think a lot of people, I hope that we kind of have a renovated view of this text because I think a lot of people read this and it's like, oh no, I got I to gotta get my behavior in check because I don't, want, I don't want to get to the end of my life and all of a sudden, I, you know, I messed up you know, these couple days here and I was pretty good here, but then I messed up again here and I just, you know, I don't want to get to that day. And he's like, ah, you screwed up too much. Get out of my face. That's not what he's talking about. Okay. If behavior and our ability to do good was ever any a part of this equation, none of us would have a chance. We're counting on what Jesus did, not what we can do. Okay. So, Number one, being a Christ follower is not just name dropping. What they're saying there is, it's not about just dropping a name. Well, yeah, I know, I know I've heard of Jesus. Yeah, we're good. We're buddies. Jesus is just all right with me. You know, we're cool. Jesus is my homeboy. You know. It's kind of like this. Um, our band, of course, I said earlier, we started playing out in restaurants and stuff like that. And there's a place in the Little River called Patios that we, that we ended up playing at. And we're going to play there some more. But we had the hardest time getting anybody to give us a chance. You know, I'd take a little demo and I don't even think they'd listen to it. Half the time I think the bartender threw it in the garbage. You know, they wouldn't listen to it. So finally I got in touch with the manager there. And we had gotten a couple other bookings at a couple places. And so I said, you know, we'd really like to come out and play for you guys um, but our schedule is really kind of filling up. And, you know, we're playing at this such and such a place. Uh, so, you know, Fridays are out. But is there, you know, is there any way you could work us in? Oh, you're playing at this place? Oh, well, I know the guy that runs that place. I'm, uh, hold on, let me go get my calendar. You see, the name dropping, it got us the gig. I mean, that, you know, that's, that's business, Right. But if we had gone there and, you know, been the second coming of the Ramones, no offense to any Ramones fans, if we'd gone there and just been awful, like the Ramones, <laughs> just kidding. If we'd gone there and been awful, <laughs> some of you are never coming back. Um, if we'd gone there and been bad, we would have not been invited back. The name dropping only, only got me so far, Right? And so Jesus is saying it's not, it's not name dropping. And, and the second point, it's not name dropping, but relationship is the key. It's a relationship. You see? And he says that, he implies that in verse 21, the second half of it. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That statement implies a relationship. It implies that there is, that there is actually an ongoing relationship. Because think about it. If you're going to do the will of the Father, you got to know what the will of the Father is, right? And that implies that you're in a relationship with the Father, okay? Number three, 
you can't count on external. You can't count on external. Now, it says in 22 and 23, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we did not we prophesied in your name. In your name we drove out demons and performed many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. That's pretty strong behavior. I mean, that's pretty strong language. But he's saying it's not about the external. It's not about how impressive you can be. It's not about how big of a crowd you can draw. It's not about any of that. It's about your relationship with me. That is the connection. So what is good fruit? I mean, we're talking about fruit in, in our influencers. We're talking about fruit in ourselves. What is good fruit? Well, let me just say this, and I think this is where our mindsets begin to change a little. Good fruit is not behavior. Okay, get that in your head. Good fruit is not behavior. Christianity is out in the world as a reputation of a group of folks who try to be goody two-shoes and half the time are not good at it. That's what, we, that's, that's what people think of Christianity. And that's because we've minimized Christianity to behavior modification. And let me just tell you something from experience. We really stink at that. Humans in general, but really, really, really Christians think at it. I'm sorry. And the reason, for the, the reason we do is because we claim the biggest, most moral, we are so great and better than you, and we've got this and we've got that, and how dare you look like that, and how dare you smell like that, how dare you go to that place, how dare you go to that place, how dare you listen to that music. And nine times out of ten, if you pull back the facade you'd see decay in the life of that person. So we're not talking about behavior modification. What we're talking about is good fruit is heart attitude that determines your behavior. Good fruit is your heart position that leads you into behavior that serves the world loves the world, and lives for Christ. I'm going to tell you something. If we truly lived that as a church, I believe that our churches would be far more full and far more compelling because they would see these are real people, not plastic cutouts. So what's the difference here? I mean, I've got, I, we've got really good friends, several really good, really, really good friends who don't go to church at all and have zero interest in it at all whatsoever. They respect what we do and, you know, it's, they're not against us or whatever. We're really good friends. And uh, a couple of them aren't really sure even what they believe, but we, lo we love them. They're fantastic. And, um, and I'll be honest, sometimes we look at, 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 at ourselves, Caroline and I, and go, you know, sometimes it seems like they are more moral than some of the people we know that claim all this Christianity. And I think this text begins to shed light on that. They've gotten it backwards. 
they're attempting to just behave on the outside like they're supposed to. But there's no relationship with Christ. So what are these attitudes? Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Now, do you see that list? Are those behaviors? Now, I want you to go out today and do peace. I want you to behave peace the rest of the day. I want you to behave self-control. I want you to behave faithfulness and gentleness. No, these are heart attitudes. These are, these are heart positions. These are, are heart leanings and, 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 and heart issues that then go out and allow your behavior to reflect back to the things that are in your heart. So if these things are growing in your heart, guess what? You can't stop your behavior from changing, even if you want to, because you won't want to, because these things will be cultivated and growing in your heart. So I want to I look at another question, and then we're done, is how can we begin to be good soil for this fruit to be ready to grow in, for, for the Holy Spirit to, to, to grow the fruit in us. There's a church outside of Atlanta that did a little bit of a case study. They, they surveyed several hundred people who had come to faith in Christ and asked them, what are the things that grow or grew your faith? What are the things, if you look back, what would be the big things that grew your faith. Essentially, the question is, what are the big things that put you in the right place for the Holy Spirit to grow good fruit in your life? And they said, un unbelievably, these five things came back every single time. It never failed. And they called them the five faith catalysts. Number one is practical teaching. When they sat under practical biblical teaching, their faith grew and, and they were able to see fruit. Number two, providential relationships. Now, that's a big fancy word, but it basically just means the friendships that they without doubt know that God brought into their life for a very specific reason, to grow their faith. Number three, private disciplines. And, the, and we're talking about reading and studying God's word. We're talking about prayer. You know, these things that we just can't shortcut if we want to grow in our relationship with God because if it's a relationship, we gotta get to know him. Number three, number four, pivotal circumstances. Now there's at least one person here in our church that lived in New York during 9-11 and has told me that, that that day for them was an Pivot, was a pivotal circumstance in their life for their faith to be grown and for the direction of their life to go in a different way. God brings these circumstances into our lives. Some are, some are tragic, some are wonderful, some are just amazing, but he brings these circumstances in. That's one reason we video the baptisms. And we, not baptisms, but we video the testimonies 
of the people that are being baptized and play them before they get baptized. Because we want it, that to be a potentially pivotal circumstance, not for them, it already is for them, but for all of us. And then number five, personal ministry. They said time and time again, people said, you know what, when I started serving, when I started doing ministry, when I started straightening the chairs or working in the band or going to the soup kitchen or um, working at the, the, the food pantry or helping with the kids or working with the youth or whatever, working outside in the, in the, in the outside of the church or helping clean up the nursing home or whatever. When I began doing ministry, my faith grew exponentially, exponentially. And so here's the conclusion, and, and the band can, can come up. Um, I would like to challenge you today, I guess. First of all, if you're here and you're really not sure exactly what you believe about all this. Maybe you've gone to church in the past and it was, maybe you dealt with one of these these false teachers that we talked about, I mean, I, you know, they're out there. And maybe you are almost, you got to the point where you're like, I'm, I'm over it, I'm done. Or maybe you just have always thought it was just a crock, all of it. I want to just challenge you to just have enough, just a little teeny tiny piece of faith. That's all it takes, by the way. Just enough as silly as it may feel, to end these moments today to say, God, will you speak to me? Just this a simple prayer of faith. Will you speak to me? And then wait and see. I'm not saying it's going to be instant. I'm not going to say the roof's going to open up and he's going to fly in. But be open to the fact that he might be there. And he might want to say something to you. And maybe you've never prayed. And then for some folks here who maybe they've been on this journey for a while. I want to challenge you as you come to this table. That you might stop after you get back to your seat just long enough to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and to ask the Holy Spirit to begin growing these good fruits in your life and ask Him, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just tell me what you want me to do. I'll tell you this, at Renovation, um, and there's a lot of churches that do it different ways. We don't exclude people who are not Christ followers from coming to this table. We just don't. We don't tell you that you can't come to this table because here's what we believe. We believe that God might want to meet you in this table. What if he wants to meet you here and we tell you you can't come? That's not our role. So we want to invite all of you to the table. And 
I just kind of think, and I, you know, I'm just commentating, but I just kind of think that that night when Jesus was with his, with his friends up in that room before he was going to be taken away to be crucified, I just wonder if he kind of thought as he was pouring that wine, if he just thought, man, these guys have no idea what my blood is about to accomplish for them. They have no idea. And I wonder too, is, you know, he's breaking the bread. And I wonder if in his mind he thought, they just don't know. They just do not know what my body is going to purchase for them. And so as you come, would you consider my challenge, wherever you stand on the journey, would you consider my challenge to take that moment to just speak to your father, even if you don't believe he's your father yet? And ask him to come. We've got baskets up here. And um, if you don't put anything in them, then don't bother coming back. I'm just kidding. Um, we've got baskets up here. And most importantly, we really just want you to put your connect cards in them. Um, certainly, if you have a gift to give, we'll take it. But mostly, we want to know a little bit about you and how we can serve you and pray for you. Um, we use wine in our family. And so if you choose not to use wine... We have juice, little juice cups behind uh, the servers. And there'll also be people who are willing to pray with you if there's something you'd like to be prayed for. The servers would come at this time. And the band can go ahead and begin. There you go. Come to the table.